Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Property. You're with John Pigeon and myself, Glenn James. Thanks for joining us today, John. Pleasure, Glenn. Now, joint ventures with tradies is what we're going to chat about. We are. Do you want to talk a little bit about Wellman Finance and thank Sean for getting behind the podcast? Yes, thanks, Sean. The big man has uh, has been part of our service for the last 12 months nearly and is an awesome broker. I use him personally and he knows his stuff. He educates well. He dots his eyes and he really does have the, the customer's um, best interest at heart. He's a business owner. Does he cross his T's though? Uh, I think he crosses yeah. them occasionally. Sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, Wellman Finance, look him up. He's in Melbourne, but he loves a Zoom call. He's all over the phone and he will structure your properties or your finance in a way that's going to allow you to continue to move forward. So, there you have it, wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash M3. Reach out to Sean directly, tell him we sent you so he uh, he knows who he's accountable to. <laughs> Do a good job, kid. Do a good job, Sean. Jamie wrote a message into us. I'm just curious how some joint ventures go with tradies doing the labor and investors financing the deal. Heard a few podcasts about them, but not on the structure of the legal and money down the line. Mm. So, take it away, John. Thank you, Jamie, for reaching out. I actually did a book on this. or I wrote a chapter within a book. Glenn's just got his hot hands on it now. Now, if Jamie reaches out a second time, I'm going to personally mail him a copy. And it's called Insider's Know-How, Property Investment Australia. Um, I've been critical of the, the cover of this book <laughs> and my personality is one to judge book by its cover. So, In this case, definitely I'm not. Definitely. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, if Jamie's a male or a female. We don't know. Excuse me, but uh, either way, reach out again and I'll flick you one in the post. So, yeah, it's an interesting topic I actually did a video on it a couple of weeks ago as well. So jump on to Solve Our YouTube if you want to take a, a geezer at that. Now, traditionally, a joint venture is a 50-50 arrangement, right? Or the most common one is a 50-50 where you put in 50% of the deposit funds yourself and you, you trans, um, translate or trans work or trans something, 50% of the workload and 50% of the holding costs going forward, you sell the property, take 50% of the profit and live happily ever after. Now, it's not always that way. In this example that Jamie's asking, it's about the builder coming in and, and doing the grunt work while the other person is essentially the financier. So they, in this case, may put in 100% of the deposit or the money to get that property purchased. The builder does all the grunt work um, the holding costs may be shared or still could be 100% the financier. Um, but because they're not doing any of the labor, the builder basically does all that. You take a 50% share or, or some sort of percentage. 
he's asking about the the legals and the I suppose the back end side of things. Now, as I say in my my chapter and also the video, we need to have a really firm agreement and understanding at the start that's written up by uh, a solicitor lawyer to make sure that we're very clear and transparent right from the beginning and we know our expectations going forward. So right down to the detail, if the builder's coming in doing the grunt work, right, well, if they're not putting any money in, we need to make sure that we're not blowing the budget just because the builder's a builder and does a good job, right? If they're not the one paying for it, sometimes that can blow out. So my recommendation, if if I did have an, a builder engaged in the JV, I would ask them to put some sort of money in, right? Now, for that, they may take a, a greater percentage, but I always feel better if, if both parties are putting money in because there's a bit more hurt involved in, in that respect. Uh, but the key is to have a really tight agreement written in at the start before we actually purchase the property, not after, and with some, I suppose, some some blocks at different stages. So at year one, end of year one, you you schedule to sit down, have a meeting. Okay, we are all good. Does one want to get out and the other stay in? How do we deal with that? Um, so looking at the variables within that along the way because there's now two parties and not just one. Would you, like if... The builder was there. You would think the builder should quote it up as they were doing at market rates and then yeah. we use that as the basis. And that's where it can become complicated and that's where the agreement uh, agreement needs to be clear right from the start. So the builder might come in and say, right, I'm, I'm going to charge full retail and that's my profit for that build plus... 10% on the job or 20% on the job, right? Mm. Or I come in and charge um, cost only but take 50% of the profit at the end, right? So there's plenty of ways you can shape it. Yeah, because I guess the um, the premium, the like any arrangement has to be a win-win. Totally. So it, it probably, I mean, if I was the financier, I wouldn't go into a joint venture because I would just do it myself, you just pay a builder. Yes. And right. th- and that's that's what I again I preframe it in in when I talk about joint ventures is number one, why are we doing it? It's like it's cute to go in because we're we're with a second person and we feel more comfortable, but we're also giving up fifty percent of the profit if we are the one putting in all the money. Yeah, I I don't like the idea and I, I think it's fraught with danger. Uh but I'm probably more risk adverse than the average bear in terms of doing JVs. If you're a builder and you wanted to do stuff like this, I would probably, because the whole thing, John, it's like there's risk and reward. So you've got to look at the the risk that's on the line. If there's two people involved and it goes pear-shaped and someone dies on site, worst case scenario, there's risk on site. Okay. Now, if... The other side of it, if it all goes perfectly, there's equal reward. Yeah. So, I think in these scenarios, you really should be looking at the risk metrics more than the profit because mm. who's left carrying a bag if it doesn't work out? Yeah. And in this example with the builder, if there's no money in from them, and that's why I mentioned mm. there's got to be some hurt, they walk away if it's all belly up, right, if there's no agreement. 
It's just a handshake. Yeah, I'll, I'll come into the JV. You put the money in. I'll do the build. Live happily ever after. See, I would rather look at it. If I was the builder and I needed money to do a job, I think it should be if we get rid of the JV and just have, through a solicitor, a private loan with, I don't know, with some type of agreement. Yeah. So, the, then at least from the financier's point of view, you're not really – the only risk you're carrying – is the money not getting paid back? Yeah. Look, it, again, if I, I was know. to do this, yeah. th- this is how I would probably do it. Uh, first of all, I'd have to ask why I'm doing it. Mm. So the the main reason I would engage a builder to do a JV with me is because I know that builder, I know the finishings that they they produce, I know they're reliable, I know they've got a good cash flow so the business is not going to go belly up. And we've got a lot more control over that than going and pulling a, a builder from off the street not knowing their history, right? So if I was to do that, I would still want them to put some money into the, the JV and for them to still charge retail, right? So they're still making money on their time for effort, but they're also getting a percentage of the upside, which means they've really got some vested interest in it, but I know that they're not overcharging to the point where we can see what our profit margins are going to be. If they're not sharing in the profit margins, then their quotes can can skew out in their favour. And do, the, do most of these JVs, do they set up a partnership? Yeah, so what's, what's probably common, and I'm not a, not a solicitor but, or an accountant to give advice on that, but what's most common in a JV structure is a, is a unit trust. Mm. Right. especially a development where you might be flicking it on within two years or three years where you, you're both maybe directors of that unit trust or your, your family trust might be underneath the unit trust and the, the unit trust is the... Um, yeah, and that's because um, there can be some CGT exemptions that can flow through the unit trust. Yeah, but it's also separate from... Their own thing. Glenn and John. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's a separate entity. So, But I mean, you just want to really make sure you're doing it for the right reasons yeah. and ask yourself, is there a way I can do this where I control 100% of it and give someone a premium for their help? Yeah. Whether you're the builder or the financier. That's right. Rather yeah. than legally being tied to them with half, half or whatever it is mm. holding the bag. Yeah, and, and it might be something where I'm not sure whether Jamie's thinking of do it, doing it himself or it's going to be an ongoing thing. So, okay, Mr. Builder or Mrs. Builder, we do this once. If, if it all works well, let's continue to do this for the next 10 or 15 years. That's what I'm thinking is more where it becomes um, like a business arrangement going forward. Yeah, but we know those who hold, those who own something, wear the risk, and wear the reward. Yes. So, it's a two-edged sword. And I'm not saying this can't be done. The place that I bought up there with the three units, that was a JV. Yeah. There was a... I think they did it where they both got one of the units each and the middle one was sold. Okay. Or like, Mm. I, I don't know. They... I don't know how it worked. Yeah. But it was a JV. So, it can be done... Mm. And again, we're going through this COVID-19 stuff where the shats hit the fan everywhere. Yeah. Now, 
it's when the shat hits the fan everywhere where regret starts to happen and people lose money. Mm. So, I just think you need to get both people involved with a solicitor at the one table. Yeah, uh, 100%. That, that's absolutely critical. The, the first part of a JV is, have I got my deposits in order and can I service the loans? Right. If the answer to that's yes on your own, you'd have to really question why you're doing a JV. Because the second party usually comes in to support one of those two, either with the deposit to meet them halfway or to help with the servicing to get the loan across the line. If they're not doing that and they're just the builder, does that mean we can just do the JV on our own? Or sorry, not, not do a JV, but just do it on our own and engage a builder that we know and trust and we've done our due diligence around. Yeah. So, again, we can't give specific information out on this because we don't know everyone's story but you just have to make sure you're fully aware those who benefit from reward usually put up some risk in return yeah totally and and i did a jv about two years ago um thankfully i'm not a builder and my jv partner wasn't a builder (laughs) but being a business owner i was able to put the deposits down while my partner was able to service it because as a business owner, we're, um, we're strategic with, uh, with our incomes and mm. all those sort of things. So he was able to, to play that part and it was a win-win. Because we physically didn't have the experience to get our hands dirty, I think it worked out quite well because we, we just didn't need to engage our own services for that. We could hire a builder independent yeah and i think if there was a jv and it was 50 50 one with the money person one with the builder i would maybe treat it as if there were two people coming into this and we get a quote for the building by the way it just so happens that that same person is building it Mm. so i think you just have to be very clear with your if you're the builder and you own half of the jv You've got to be very clear in the other side of the coin where a JV and let's pretend that we're, prov- we're getting the finance and the building stuff externally, just remove you from the discussion yeah. to see how it would look because it could be we pay market rates for the labor side and then we split the profit of the labor side. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. There's a complexity to what you just mentioned and that is if you're the builder that's also the owner or part owner, you're essentially owner-builder. Mm. That has its complexities when you're going to council to get development approval. right? And so, lending, and possibly. Lending. So chat to broker, chat to council, chat to your partner, chat to solicitor. Again, maybe have them all on the same page prior to doing anything or, or pulling the trigger on a purchase. Yeah. Mm. So take your time, get lots of information. <laughs> Yeah, what a! I just think, man, I I personally don't need that kind of drama in my life. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely certain personalities deal with it better, but it seems so sexy, doesn't it? I'll do a development, totally. I'll do a JV, and I'll make two hundred k and and live happily ever after. See, I did a bit of a JV once, but it was with a property developer and putting an op- option over the property, getting a DA, and yep. so we actually didn't own the property. Mm. So there was no tax consequences and ownership stuff. So 
that's the that's the sexy fun stuff. Yeah. Because there's so much the your risk is actually quantified. Yeah, that's right. It's in your control. Because you don't own the underlying property. No. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Thanks, John, for that yeah. chat. Very interesting. Good yarn. We'll see you soon. See ya, bye. bye. Special thanks to Wellman Finance, our podcast partner. Sean Wellman and his team are available to coach you through your property journey, even if it's your first time. With expertise in investment and home loans, they're in your corner providing education and support as you take each step. For more info, check out wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash M3. If you want to really turn up your property education and information journey, make sure you check out the Solvair Property and Finance Academy. This is an amazing online resource that John has put together. It's to empower and to give results to people who are either first-time buyers, whether for their home to live in or an investment property, or if you're a seasoned property investor. This online academy is for you. Check out the link in the show notes. It will change your life if you let it. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals.